reading as we go through the Gospel of John, and I just want to encourage you uh, to read this. It's going to be on the screen, but we're also going to just uh, read it. We're going to read it as a prayer and, together. And so it says this. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It does not say that, but I would like to remind you of that. Small groups start. They launch this Sunday, this week. Uh, so if you have not signed up for small groups yet, please do yourself a favor and do that, all right? One group will be online, two groups will be in person. Uh, those signups are in the back of the room or online as well. So let's go ahead and pray this together. It comes out of Philippians 3 and 10 and 11, and it says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that has raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. You can be seated. And so what I would encourage you, and Josh and I have been talking about this, Josh and I meet on Friday mornings and we've been talking about, um, we talk about a variety of things. Actually, um, some of the things are quite hilarious, all right? And, uh, and so Josh is our worship leader and, uh, and longtime friend. I've known him since... Josh, 19, was it 19 years old, 18, 18, 18, 19 was the year, uh, and so 18 or 19 years old, and so now we're 24, and so we've known each other for a while, and so, but, but we were talking about this concept of, of church on Sunday, right, and then how does that, how does that then extend throughout the week, how does uh, Sunday is a unique expression of worship, but how does worship continue in community throughout the rest of the week, right? And, and here's what I would say, and even, and small groups are great, and they last about eight to 10 weeks, and you can build uh, community there, but, but even beyond that is we're asking the question, how does that extend? Like, how does the community uh, continue and even if, uh, if we have this many people in the room, not everybody knows everybody. Um, and, I, and here's what I want to say about that. I don't believe that is the goal, that every single person knows every single person, and you guys are just like best friends, and we're all just best friends. I think this, that, that we walk through, and even, even Jesus modeled that out. He had, at times, thousands of followers, all right? And at 12, knew him well, three knew him really well. And I think that's what we're, we're looking at is like, okay, how, does this, how can we walk through life encouraging one another? And I just wanna encourage you guys this morning as I, as I look around, I see people who are being the hands and feet of Jesus to their neighbors, to their friends, to the ones that they love uh, around them. It's happening, all right? Um, and we could go through specific examples, but here's what I want to say is I know that it's happening within the body, and that is building community. That is leaning on people, leaning into Jesus together, and I just want to encourage you with that this morning as we prayed through that passage that, man, we need to be thinking about that. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Right, so that one way or another, that I will experience the resurrection from the dead. How many of you guys know that when we walk through life together, that it is a lot easier than walking alone? 
Now, sometimes it's a little harder because now you got to deal with somebody else. I wish this joker would just get his act together and we'd be fine, all right? That's Jen saying that to me. Um, and so we would be good, all right? But as I want to continue uh, to this today in, uh, in John, and it says this in John 6, 1 through 15. Uh, after Jesus, after this, Jesus crossed over uh, to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we work for months, and really what Philip says here is, even if we work for seven months, we would not have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a boy here with five barley loaves and, and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And I just want to say this about the barley loaves. The barley loaves were an indication of the um, monetary status of these people. Barley loaves were the loaves of the poor, right? And so he had five loaves, and in that, I want you to know this, too, that about three of those loaves would feed somebody a lunch meal, right? Minimum requirement of three there. So he had five loaves. He had two fish. I am going to guess that these were not mahi-mahi, right? I'm going to guess that they weren't, they weren't grilled up. They weren't deboned. They were fish, right? And this is what this kid has, and... and he says, but what good is this with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, said Jesus. So as they sat down on the grassy slope, the men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and, and filled 12 baskets with scraps and left, uh, scraps that were left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills to be by himself, or in the hills by himself, which is always amazing to me, by the way. You always see Jesus, he's like, and then he, he was about to, they're about to run him off a cliff and about to stone him, and he slips into the crowd. Does anybody else get that? Like, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, do you get that? Like, how did he do that? Like, there's 5,000 people. He just slipped into the crowd. He slips into the mountain. But I want to take a couple of observations from that particular passage, verses 1 through 15 that we just looked at. Observation one is the logical conclusion of Philip. I mean, Philip says right up front, right? 
Um, yeah, we, how are we going to do this? We don't have seven months of wages to pay for all these people. How is this going to happen? All right, Philip even sees the two loaves after it's pointed out to him. He sees the three loaves. He sees the two fish, and his mind logically says, how in the world are we going to make this happen? This can't happen. And so how many of you, like me, if we didn't have the other verses and we were able to read ahead, how many of us would have asked the very same question? How are we going to do this? And if you're like me, you do this all the time. And you, you try to inform God who created everything, who is watching over everything, and, and you want to tell him exactly what he can and can't do. Now, some of us would not be as bold to verbalize that. We would only think it, and therefore it's better, right? I didn't say it out loud, but we would have the same question And maybe for us this day, it looks different. We're not saying, well, God, I only have three barley loaves and two fish here. Maybe we're saying something like like this. Jesus, um, I'm just letting you know uh, that what I have is not enough. My gifting is not enough. My ability is not enough. I, I couldn't possibly speak at this event because what I have to say isn't of great significance Um, how could I possibly answer the questions if I engage somebody about Jesus and they ask me a question that I didn't know? How in the world am I supposed to deal with that? How am I supposed to deal with the difficult questions? Well, uh, my daughter passed away and you're telling me there's a good God? How am I supposed to deal with that? Um, You know, I'm afraid to play Uh, Maybe I'm afraid to play the piano because I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I want to encourage you uh, this morning that we shouldn't come to conclusions without letting God speak into the situation. When we come to conclusions that say, I'm not good enough and I will not because I'm not good enough or I don't have enough talent or I don't have the exact words to say or I don't think that I'm intelligent enough or I don't, and the list goes on and on, right? And we fill the air with our excuses or we fill our mind with our excuses and we never pause to let God speak into the situation. See, because when God speaks into the situation, I wanna wanna encourage you this morning that when God speaks into the situation, our eyes are opened up to a kingdom perspective. A kingdom perspective. And I want to just ensure you this morning, I'm not talking about some psychological game that we're playing with ourselves, whether that's either denial or the opposite end of denial, that we, we boast beyond what is true, right? But it's this, that we're found in the midst of the presence of God. And I want to ensure you of this, the, 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 the denial, all right? And then the opposite of boasting, I just want to say this, and maybe it's going to rub some people wrong, is I think those are games of childish faith. See, I can live in the reality of where I'm at and know that God is in control. 
I don't have to boast beyond, and I don't have to deny what's going on. I can live in the reality where God has me right now, and I know that God is in control. And this isn't mind over matter rubbish. It's this. It's, it's, this is what I'm talking about. Deeply transformative action of the Holy Spirit that goes to the core of your very being. And Paul talks about this, and he, and he says it like this. In Romans 13, one, or 11 through 14, he says this. Uh, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will be soon or will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Sorry. Don't think about those ways. Well, Andy, I thought you said it wasn't mind over matter. Well, it's not mind over matter because he also says in the previous chapter in Romans 12, 2, he says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a person by changing the way you think, by allowing God to transform your mind. In some translation, it says continual renewing of the mind. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God transform you into a new person. Then you will learn. There's, old, there's a, not an old song. It's not that old at all, actually. It's a song called Slow Kingdom Coming. How many of us would rather that song be Fast Kingdom Coming? How many of us would rather, when it says, then you will learn, how many of us would rather have an instant download, boom, we know everything, hello, I am God man, all right, or I know everything about God. I have every perfect answer to every hard question. How many of us know that over time we learn to follow God. How many of you in this room, and you don't have to raise your hand, but it's a rhetorical question, just think about it. How many of you are learning how to follow God? How many of you are following him, but you're learning? Yeah. It's a continuous process that we learn what is good and pleasing and perfect. And so we have a slow kingdom coming, but I want to assure you of something, just like the song says, but it is coming. When Jesus prays, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That isn't for some magical day out there. That is for right now. So we have this slow kingdom coming. We're learning. Observation number two that I want to make. Okay, so we have obstacle or observation one. That's the logical way that we think, Jesus, there is no way. What I have is not enough. What we have here is not enough. We, have, we only have three and two, all right? Observation two, forcing Jesus. 
the crowd was ready to, I want you to understand that they're not like, hey, man, do you want to be our king? Like, they are ready to forcefully make him king, force him into being king. And Jesus retreats, and he disappears, or not disappears, but he retreats into the hills because he knows that's not his mission. So the crowd is forcefully trying to make him king, uh, like telling Jesus what he can and can't do. There are times uh, when we want to form Jesus into our image or the image we need in the moment while not allowing Jesus to perform or to transform us into his likeness. How many of you guys have used Jesus as a shield? I'm not talking about to protect you. I'm talking about a, uh, not a defensive shield, like an offensive shield. How many of us have done that? And I'm going to say some things and going to take you off. That's fine. How many of us have waved? I can speak, I promise. How many of us have waved a flag with Jesus on it, but without the message of Jesus? It's a term that I'm just going to call hijacking Jesus. Using Jesus when he's convenient, but forgetting the gospel message. How many of you, like me, have we've tried to hijack the gospel of Jesus. How many of you have tried uh, to form Jesus in your own image instead of you being transformed into his likeness? I think I have done that 10,000 times. In this moment, God, would you, would you come here? I, want, I need you to do this. I need you to be formed into this. While ignoring the part that I need to be transformed. Ignoring the part where it says, God, can I, could I see things even, even at a glimpse from your perspective? When you find yourself dealing with people, as we talked about last week, when you find yourself dealing with people as it's, it's, okay? Them's, they. And maybe, maybe even worse things we've said or thought. And so we, we're not dealing with people as, as um, image bearers of God, but we're dealing with them as it's. And when you have made people the enemy and you are ready to eliminate them, maybe just from your life, maybe you're, maybe you're not, maybe you don't want to put the nuclear code in, okay? But you want to eliminate them from your life because life would just be easier without them. And albeit, I'm going to say this, albeit, sometimes we do it in the name of Jesus, Here we go. When you proudly wave a Trump 2020 or Trump 2024 or even worse, a let's go Brandon flag, but you refuse to pray for the sitting president, you have lost perspective on the kingdom. When you have a Biden flag, and you will not talk to a person who voted for Trump, you have lost kingdom perspective. When you will support the saying Black Lives Matter because you know that's true, but you won't call out the organization Black Lives Matter for being corrupt, you have lost 
kingdom perspective. When you can't, I just, I can't talk to people who wear masks anymore. I can't deal with it. Or, why are you not wearing a mask? You have lost kingdom perspective. When you leave community because someone has a different opinion, check this, maybe totally opposite opinion, and you can't deal with it anymore, you have lost kingdom perspective. When you try to solve problems via social justice, but you leave out kingdom justice, you have lost kingdom perspective. See, we've seen it over and over again. We've seen social justice And here's what I want to say, and this is going to be some tough things I'm about to say, but I want you to hear me on this. We have seen social justice lead to people hanging from trees. Because they are a different color. We have seen people worldwide beaten brutally and killed. We have seen millions of people exterminated for the sake of social justice. Because here's what the problem becomes. When we replace social justice and we forget the king, Jesus, and his kingdom, we place our own agenda as the king and the kingdom. And who do we answer to? Ourselves. And then it's that God who we've placed at the center, and that's a lowercase God that begins to look an awful lot like us. Don't hijack the gospel. The gospel is God's. Our former leader of Vineyard, Phil Strout, said this. Remember this. And he said this when he was closing out his, his term as, um, or his stint as a, our national leader. He said this. Remember this. The gospel is not yours. It's not yours to change and move around and do all this stuff with. The gospel is just our good news to tell to other people. And so I wonder like these people who were trying to force Jesus, who didn't understand the perspective or the kingdom perspective, they were trying to force him to be something he wasn't. May we stop trying to force Jesus to be something he is not. I wonder if we could approach people who are supposed to be our enemies culturally, just like Jesus approached the woman at the well. and was genuinely curious about who she was. And just spoke some truth into her life. I want to I notice something here, that Jesus didn't scream truth to her. Jesus met her where she was and spoke truth to her. Culturally, completely different from each other cultural enemies, her life is completely changed. 
I just wonder if we met people where they are. I wonder if we were more like Jesus. If we knew, if we knew our mission, rather than knowing of the mission, but if we knew the mission, and, and, we, and we had some insight into the gospel, and we understand that a lot of people, like Josh said, some people aren't going to receive it. You know, it doesn't matter if you take Lee's Bible here. That's not a camera trick if you're online. This is real. I'm shaking. Okay, if you take this Bible and you lump somebody over the head with it, okay, that would hurt really bad. I can Chuck. Yeah, okay, so Chuck in a test. And so... But if we take this Bible and we just begin to berate people with it, but we forget the king and his kingdom, and we forget the love, and we want instant change in their lives, and we want them to conform to us, and we begin to beat people up with this, you're doing the wrong thing. What if we just showed them this? And there were some truths, and here's the crazy part. What if we, thanks, what if we actually did something wild and lived that out? That would be awesome. And I believe that we're starting to see that. And I believe that we'll see the fruit of that. And the fruit of that is going to be people who are really jacked up, who are coming to the kingdom with all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of different hurts, all kinds of different wounds. And we can say, uh, and, we, and we could be even as bold to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Let's talk about it, though. Let's, let's explore that. I don't, I'm not sure. I just want to say this, and I, I told a friend this earlier this week. I, I just want to say this. Like, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. I know that in this day and age, we feel like we have to have an opinion on everything. How many of you guys have ever said, yeah, I mean, I, I saw this article. You guys ever done that? But then you didn't read the article. You read the headline. You know, and wherever that comes from, it makes a huge difference, right? And so I just encourage you with this, like, let's have a kingdom perspective. Let's keep Jesus at the center. Uh, is there kingdom justice? Yes. Do, do mouths need to be fed? Okay, my daughter and I, one of my daughters who happens to be uh, African-American, we were talking about uh, this idea that, man, yeah, we can actually admit that people of color in America um, over the years have been treated extremely poorly. Like, we can admit that, right? Now, here's what I won't do, because it's not kingdom perspective, is to say, well, I'm ready to crush some white people. We were listening to this song. That, it was like a poetry thing, right? It was like, are we ready to crush white things? Are we ready to call on the black gods? And I just kind of paused the song, and I was very enraged at the time. I have to be really honest with you because I feel like there's, there's something to, uh, to mission uh, of the gospel. And when people start stepping on that, I, I need to control it a little bit. But I told her, I said, this song is crap. <laughs> but I think I used a different word, because I, and I'm just going to confess that to you. And they're like, and I was like, because here's what bothers me about this, is that we can say that that was for real, but then the kingdom perspective on that is that, is that we're going to make things right in the name of Jesus. We're not going to take it into our own hands, all right? 
And, and we're going to make things right because the mission of the kingdom is beginning and the basis of it is love. And, and so that's why Jesus didn't accept their invitation because they were basing something that would benefit them solely as a political entity and that they would overtake this Roman empire. And so Jesus says, no, that's not actually what my mission is about. We continue, John 6, 16 through 21. Um, the evening, that evening, Jesus' disciples went off to, or down to the shore to wait for him. Um, but as darkness fell, uh, Jesus still hadn't come back. They got into the boat and headed across the lake to Capernaum. And soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on water. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Now, in Mark, it says this weird thing about this very same situation. It says that Jesus intended to pass by them. He intended to pass by them, but then they saw him. Well, what was the intention there? Well, maybe Jesus was saying, you know, hey, guys, maybe just like you can like call on my name and maybe the storm would stop around you. Maybe you should have a little more faith. But they're terrified, it says. They see, can you imagine seeing someone walking on water? That would be crazy. You're in here, there's a gale. I mean, their lives were not in danger. It was just really rough. They have gone, and they're terrified. And he says to them, do not be afraid, I am here. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us this morning is as we go through the storms of life, we don't have to deny the storm around us, but we have to recognize that Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm. You know, my favorite, my hated sayings, I hate them. Oh, too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. What if I was anointed and disappointed? What if I was blessed and stressed? Is that okay? All right? Why do we have to do that? Yes, I'm a little stressed out now. I know Jesus is in the midst. I know that. I'm not afraid. But, you know, I don't offer that as an excuse, but it will be bumper stickers next week that I'm handing out. <laughs> Blessed and stressed. <laughs> Anointed and sometimes disappointed. All right? Uh, but, I, but I think about this. Jesus meets us in the middle of that. Right? I mean, Jesus, I mean, guys, how many times have we said this? No, I'm not depressed, but you're depressed. You know? I'm not sick. You look like death, all right? Yes, it's okay, and God will meet you there. I promise you that. Uh, you know, it's the person, and I, I told this to somebody the other day. I said, hey, because we were talking about some stuff, and I said, you know, there's this stigma, you know, with like, I think sometimes, I think it's falling off, is this stigma with, with uh, counseling. 
And I said, dude, if your arm was going, if your left arm was going numb and you had like serious pain in the middle of your chest, what would you do? I ain't going to a doctor. I know some of you would say that, okay? And why, all right? (laughs) But what would you do? Probably go get things checked out. Oh, I can't walk on my left foot because I have a sore the size of a golf ball, okay? But it's not there, okay? What? You go get it checked out, all right? What if we are going through a time of a rough patch where we feel overwhelmed and we feel down and even the nasty D word, depressed. No, I'm not. Maybe you are. And maybe there's help for that. But we're afraid of it. Because as if we're denying what God can do by going to the doctor. And here's what I want to say to you this morning is this is we don't need to deny the storm. I know I've already said it. I just want to say it again and reiterate. We don't need to deny the storm. And that, that if we say that, yeah, we're in the middle of it and we're going through some really tough stuff, you are not taking Jesus off the throne when you say that. As a matter of fact, I believe this, that you are actually putting him on the throne, recognizing what you're going through and then recognizing that he is in control. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Man, if you, are, if you are sailing through a storm right now, you do not need to act like you're not. If you hear a baby crying, no, look at Lynn. <laughs> like, we don't, need, we don't need to do that. As followers of Christ, we don't need to do that. Be strong in the Lord, have faith, and know that he will meet you in the middle of the storm. And sometimes, again, in Mark, this guy says this awesome thing, which has become my favorite passage of late. I believe, but can you help me with my unbelief? I believe, but boy, right now, can you help me with my unbelief? And I think that's coming to God just as real as you can and in humility and saying, God, I don't have it all under control, but you do. Stand with me.